0: Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. I brought two good-looking guys in today for the show, so um, it is July 1st, and I want to say happy birthday. My brother Dave is 59 years old today, so happy birthday, buddy. I hope you have a good day. Yeah. It is also 4th of July weekend, Independence Day weekend, so the 4th of July is on Monday i looking forward to that. So I want to say um, happy Independence Day, everyone. Um, before I get to my guests, along the lines, well, let's go right to the guests. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, following my script as always, Aaron Cerrone, Chris Bryant, um, two that's true it.
1: believers. Yeah, that's and it. And that's it. So here we go. Apparently, the, they're only seeing my head right now because Cam said, since I got a green shirt on, just my so I'm like, I might be a floating. Oh, head you're here. floating ahead, sorry,
2: right, you're uh, blending uh, in with which, that which now. <laughs> you, you blend, which would Is be that fantastic. Really a it can
1: be
0: okay. Can I've be. got Aaron's shirt on today, you've yes. got my shirt on today. Chris actually looks good, good. today, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I didn't know, <laughs> I, I didn't know almost, we were gonna we have to dress up today. Oh, no, no, not dress. Up. I didn't he, get he that memo. I didn't get that memo.
0: So, let's get right to the 4th of July trivia. And then we'll get into the, into the topics. I feel uh,
1: this is a little unfair. We were not aware of... We are going to play Jeopardy here. It's today. not really a test. It's a, it's a bit of a test, but... but it's going to show how dumb we are either way. Yes, I think that is probably <laughs> going to be the
0: outcome here. July 4th, 1776, Independence Day. Commemorates the passage of the Declaration of Independence by the Continental Congress. Um, did you know, or do you know, who the only... Person to sign the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. Mm. Of all 53 signers, only one signed on the 4th of July. Most of them signed on August 2nd. Come to find out. Big signature.
1: Oh, it was Jefferson, wasn't it? Didn't he
0: sign his the biggest? That You're close. You're close. John Jefferson John Hancock. Oh, Jefferson was one of the authors damn it. actually. I should, John Hancock makes sense. But John Hancock was the guy that signed on the fourth of <laughs> July. All right. But what he, do we got
1: for him, for Cam? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Number two. Okay,
2: I've only got one we more got question. <laughs> Yeah. That's interesting, though. I should have thought know. so, too. Yeah. Well,
1: that makes sense. Give them your John Hancock. The John Hancock. It's and the so, most
2: prominent one. Yeah, on yeah. The whole, and, so, and yeah. apparently
0: the other 52 signers actually signed on August 2nd. You could cheat if you want to. I've probably got a
2: copy. Oh, you carry man. a copy with you? Always. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Constitution and the Declaration. Good for okay. you. That's awesome, man. So here's the next question. And that one.
0: Is that the Bible?
2: Yep. I carry the Constitution and the Bible that every one. day, everywhere I go. Do you really? Yeah. Very you cool. said I'm a true believer, man. You are there a true believer. Amen,
0: brother. Question number two. Two signees of the Declaration of Independence became president. Two people that signed the Declaration became president. Who would that be? Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. And Adams. 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 Number two. Incredible. Yep. Fantastic. Number two and three. All right. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. And you didn't think you'd be able to get this stuff. I can't wait. I, I got Hancock right. My help son. Turn it. Darn it. Nailed My son it. is a history major, and I was asking him if he would get
1: them. <laughs> yeah, he was like,
0: What are you talking about? <laughs> the what? That's dangerous. No, no, he got him. That's you know, great. He man. was actually been paying attention. That's awesome. Um what I want to talk about today is the Fourth of July. I'd like if each one of you would talk a little bit, just give a little bit of your history, where you're from, you know, the, the elevator version. And then talk <laughs> about the Fourth of July. You're not from here. No, I'm not and from And you're here. not from here. No. Let's talk about the Fourth of July in your respective upbringing. I'd love what that to hear about like.
2: Aaron.
1: Uh, I want hear start, you Chris, on the radio?
2: Where? I know I'd love to hear his okay, story.
0: Oh, well, I gotta go
1: first. From? You yeah. go
0: first. A little bit about your background. Yeah. Where well, you I'm from lived.
1: Pennsylvania originally, so um, fireworks were illegal. We're we would. No kidding. We would. I don't know if they're. I think they're still illegal Eastern there. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah Eastern, Pennsylvania Eastern Pennsylvania, on Pennsylvania. the east side, uh, right, right outside of Allentown, and right near the Pocono Mountains. So we would, every year, I would go to the Indy 500 with my aunt and uncle. And on the way back, we would stop in Ohio and load up on fireworks. Uh So we were like the only people in the neighborhood that had fireworks ever. And uh, my brother, in fact, uh, we were like—I was like nine, my brother was eight—and he got cited by the cops for shooting off fireworks,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> breaking the law. Right? Yeah,
1: which you know it was one of those towns where there were two cops in the whole town and, town, and one of them went to high school with my dad, and the other went to high school with my uncle, type type right. thing. So they right. knew. Um, it was mostly more than a joke than anything because someone called and was complaining, so they had to give a citation. Sure. But um, <laughs> no, 4th of July was just kind of uh, a small town thing. I mean, it was nothing nothing crazy. We would mm-hmm. shoot off some so they fireworks. So,
0: did they have big uh, community fireworks or anything?
1: No, no, not at all. Nothing. They were, they were illegal. You couldn't no do it. No kidding. Them. Um, they would have shows like at the, you know, down at Veterans Stadium, obviously, they would have a show mm-hmm. down in Philly, and, and some of the local places would have a. There was a fireworks emerald. There was a little town called Emerald, and they had the emerald fireworks, and they would, over the ball field, they would have a fireworks. They used to have a big carnival that weekend, and they would have a fireworks show, the emerald fireworks. So you would have stuff like that where they were organized little shows. But we're talking small town. We're not talking like Werner Park, big fireworks type stuff. We're talking, you know, little. They were were still pretty cool, you know. Absolutely. You know, if you know anything about Pennsylvania, it's just a bunch of little towns, little hick towns, and, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you were kind of in that little incubator. So anything was extravagant to you mm-hmm. at, at, you know, at that time and at that age. So uh, I go back now and see the fireworks show. I'm like, huh, that's it. You know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> as a kid, it was, it was incredible and fabulous. But he was like, oh, so you it. have fond memories of the 4th of July? Yeah, you know, just, just um, kind of the- you know, shooting fireworks off the back porch of my aunt and uncle's house. And then um, but we could still get bottle rockets. Zipping bottle rockets at each other mm-hmm. yeah. and shooting, shooting them at the neighbor. Like our neighbors would get some too. We'd <laughs> back and forth. Right. You know, I can't believe we still all have eyes, you know? <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> exactly. And,
1: know, uh, uh, but, you know, small town. It used to be one of those little towns where they used to have little town festivals, but that just kind of stopped over the years. Um, but, yeah, it was fun. You know, it was just, just summertime. Uh, yeah. And, it uh, is. Yeah. Fourth Drive, you know, then I moved here and it was like, Jesus, it's like World War II here. Yeah. You know, the first, first time I was here, I was like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> that first like, summer. Because I was never lived in a state where fireworks were legal. And then it's just like, you're Did in a you war zone. Here?
0: Active duty, or did you move active out here? Duty, after? Yeah.
1: You, yeah, you were done at off No, I didn't voluntarily come to Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> of course not,
0: <laughs> and, and no one does, my wife included. What, what's your story, man?
2: Where, I, where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born in Natchez, Mississippi, right on the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. um, about 80 miles north of Baton Rouge, very historic town. Mm-hmm. Um, I think its population when I grew up there, about 25,000, maybe 27. Um, Big antebellum south, big pilgrimage, you know, all the antebellum homes. They say um, half of the millionaires in the United States prior to the Civil War lived in that one town. No kidding? Yeah. It was an incredible wow. amount of wealth. In so that there's town.
0: a huge disparity between huge. the ultra-wealthy and yeah. everybody else?
2: Yeah. And I was born in that town in about third grade. I moved across the river and grew up as a Louisianian. And uh, so it's basically a Tom Sawyer community, and there's all these Oxbow Lakes that are off of the Mississippi River before the, you know, the Corps of Engineers basically mm-hmm. rerouted the river, and uh, all these old lakes. And we had a lake lot, and uh, we, you know, we weren't rich by no means. We had an old Airstream, like a 1972 <laughs> oh, yeah. Airstream, no air conditioning. It was just a place <laughs> to get out of the sun. Right. But we did have a nice a boat, and so can. we spent the Fourth every year on the uh, on Independence Day. It was always on the lake, and nice. so. I grew up on the lake, uh, probably explains why I joined the Navy. Mm Never really gotten to fireworks much. It's not a big deal for us. We're too, probably too drunk at that point, you know. <laughs> right. Even as a fifteen-year-old, it was what like, you could drink by the right. time the sun went down. No doubt, sunburned and you know, sun soaked, and you just oh, yeah. trashed from being out on the water were, all day. And, were
0: fireworks popular though down in that part of the country? You know, or? they
2: they were around, but hadn't a lot of people weren't into it, type of deal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and as an adult, I never really got into them because being EOD, you know, being mm-hmm. the bomb squad, I'm like, who wants to go see a stupid fireworks show? <laughs> Right. And I'm blowing stuff every day for a living. Right. So uh, right. just never been a big thing with me. Uh, I enjoy them, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, I've also lost a lot of friends to fireworks. Oh, uh, yeah, trying man. to disarm them, there's no good way to dispose of I them. Know. Here's the safety moment for the day. <laughs> exactly. And so there's a great video on csb.gov called Deadly Contract. And it's about five uh, bomb techs that were trying to disarm fireworks that were confiscated from a ship in China, illegal fireworks. and. And, uh, well, you can watch the video and the investigation. They did was, some went uh, bad, unsafe practices, and mm-hmm. they didn't control their ignition sources. And it, mm-hmm. they were disassembling them. They had black powder everywhere. And oh, no kidding. It lit them up, man. Killed all five of them. So well, that wasn't terrible. that long ago, I think, about 2011. But prior to uh, – you know, the Iraq, uh, the you know, Iraq, 9-11, prior to 9-11, I'd always been told that we'd lost more bomb techs in the military to fireworks than anything. No kidding. And then obviously, you know, 9-11 and then the, the campaigns over in Iraq and Afghanistan and IEDs, which is now mm-hmm. the number one killer of that, mm-hmm. that line of work. But, you know, I just, I've got very fond childhood memories of the fourth, man. It was just being outdoors, enjoying nature and, and the water cookouts. and skiing and cookouts yep, yeah. and all the adults drinking and gambling, <laughs> Yeah, you know. that, that We yeah. used to play this game. The modern version would be, I don't even know what y'all call it up here, it's called cornhole, I think, where you throw the little corn bags. Throw the so, bags in. Yeah, yeah we didn't have that. Man. That was too fancy for us. <laughs> We had plywood that was, you know, you gave it a couple little legs. You put it about fifteen feet away, and we threw large washers. And we called it washers. Oh, I've, I've seen oh, that so before. Yeah. yeah. So we oh, played yeah. washers. I guess the modern day is the, the safer way instead of hard projectiles <laughs> flying through the air. We
0: used to throw those jarts. Remember <laughs> oh, jarts? Those big blonde oh, darts? darts. The big oh, long darts. Oh Jesus! And you would like you'd put a little ring on the ground, and then you'd stand there and yeah. wait for the, and they'd throw them up in the air and.
1: Oh my God. You're really aiming for everybody's foot. Exactly. You know,
0: and you weren't allowed to move, right? Oh. And it was like when you shoot the arrow straight up in the air and nobody yeah. can move.
2: But we would have washer tournaments. Uh, you know, it was yeah. an entry fee. Oh, it was yeah. probably $20 a person, and you you're, you drew names out of the hat. That's who your partner would be. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know who it was. I always seemed to get the drunkest person <laughs> right. as my partner. You right. couldn't even hit them. The the the, 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 who knows where the washer was going to go, but it was a big gambling kind of thing, you know. But I grew up in Louisiana, man, and so it was all about the food and the people and just getting together and enjoying the company of one another. Absolutely, and I'm going to do that this week, too. Yeah, I've got some BFW friends that's got some uh, property on a lake in in the hills near Glenwood, and so got an invitation yesterday if it's not raining on Monday. And we're going to spend the day up at the lake. That's good. And then I'm going to get out of there before dark. Any day at the lake is, is pretty good. Oh, I agree, yeah. man, especially when it's Any a hot Any day at one. the lake
1: is yeah. a good day at the lake. So, so what,
0: will, what will you guys be doing? You have I have a- no idea yet. I children? No yeah. <laughs> to-
1: I, I, I get kids? told what to do. Okay. You know how it is when you little kids. You're just a glorified taxi. You get told right. what to do and right. when to do it. and, and uh, But, you know, you guys were talking about barbecues, I, like old school barbecues. No one had Gas grills or electric grills. Oh, no. It's charcoal. The right. mound of charcoal Absolutely. and you had to wait forever for it to get hot. But I, I swear to God food tasted better on those Much better. barbecues. I totally agree. If I have the time, I usually – I've
2: got a double-sided grill. One's gas for the quick weeknight, throw something on, but then I've got <laughs> right. the smoker and the charcoal side as well. And if I have the time, I always about try to
0: charcoal. Throw charcoal. It's so good. Man, I
1: totally – You got to wait forever. It's true. It takes like, a while. Oh, long my God, is weeknight. it ready yet? That's exactly right. He's you has got to have the gas for the his weeknight. plan <laughs> right now. He's like, I don't know. What,
2: I hadn't even thought about it until you brought it up. When do I need to start, I start the charcoal?
1: start it Friday. On. It'll be ready on Sunday. Yeah, but the smoker thing has changed
0: everything, though, man. Sure.
2: It and,
1: has
0: um, <laughs> the food is so much better. We have a mutual friend, Mark McClure. Mm-hmm. He sends me pictures all the time of what he's got on his smoker, just taunting me. Yeah, because he's—I think he's an excellent.
2: I was smoking cup. a lot of venison this week, uh, making pemmican, which is oh, like
0: a jerky, the original jerky.
2: Yeah, like the Native American mm-hmm. survival food to get through. The, so I'm into this pemmican thing right yeah. now, and so I wanted to make sure the venison. You know, even though the venison up here in this part of the country is. Phenomenal because they eat so well. You go down where I'm from, man, they taste like mud. You know, they, that's all they eat is dirt and mud and rotten berries and leaves. Uh-huh. And so, and they're like, you know, they're like dogs. Up here, the, the deer are massive and they're well fed and they right. taste like beef. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't even know why you need to do anything to venison up here. You know, back home, <laughs> I'd boil it in seafood boil and uh-huh. soak it in milk to get rid of the gamey, muddy taste. <laughs> oh but I'm smoking this meat all week, and, and then I powdered it up and grinded it all up in a powder and then dehydrate a lot of blueberries and, um, what I put it, bananas, blueberries, strawberries. and um, Was that the traditional way? Yeah, they would, yeah, they would take uh, berries and, and dehydrate them and smoke the mm-hmm. bison or the buffalo, you know, and, and the venison. And then they would... Put it in a mortar and pestle and grind it into a powder mm. and then melt down some uh, beef fat. No kidding. And that's what I did. I made beef tallow this week. I called a butcher here in Omaha. I'm like, hey, man, you, what are you doing with all that fat? And he's like, I throw it in a garbage can. I'm like, hey, man, I, I don't want to do that. And so he saved up about five pounds, and I went and rendered it down and, and cleaned it and filtered it and um, and I started making pemmican. It's got no a thirty-year shelf life, man. Oh my god! Well, I got man. these deer roast in the freezer, and they've been in there for two years. And I'm like, oh, they're going to get freezer burned, and it's going to go yeah. to waste. And I'm like, how can I yeah. represerve it? And Started making pemmican all week, man. You know me though; Dude, man. I'm all into
0: the whole survival, you, may, you amaze me, man. Prepper thing, yeah. you know. You I know. think I filled up my gas tank this week. <laughs> That's about the extent of my preparation. Yeah, no, I'm I rendering beef fat and no
2: dehydrating venison. So, and no I'm not, I've got seven organic gardens that I'm working. That's eating up all my time.
0: Yeah, so. I, that takes a lot of time. Well, yeah. well, let's talk a little bit about. Um, leadership mm. i mean you two guys are the kind of my go-to leadership experts leadership motivation discipline all of those things um i get a lot of questions about leadership and then i have to wait until i am around one of you guys to ask <laughs> what if you were um talking to a do you call them like e-levels e-suite who were the executives what's that
1: yeah, I mean, C-suite, E-suite. Sweet, C-suite. Yeah.
0: If you're talking to an executive, what what do you tell an executive about leadership versus what you tell that frontline supervisor? If you're talking leadership, what does an executive need to know about leadership that's going to filter down through their company versus you know the 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 skill set that that frontline supervisor right. needs that's juggling production and all those other horses is that is that a
1: question i mean i would be i would be hesitant to tell them anything to be honest i'd be more interested in what are they struggling with the
0: e-suite got the executives
1: i mean at any level at any level what what are they struggling with Uh, what what issues do they feel like they're having sometimes they're not they feel like they're struggling and they're not uh so so i'd be remiss just to to say you should do anything because clearly they're successful by getting to where they're at. So they're doing a lot of things likely more right than wrong. So I would, I generally would just sit down and just get an idea of where they're at, how they feel things are running, where they feel they're struggling. Why do they feel they're struggling with that? Uh, are they really, is it really a problem or is it just, are they hypersensitive to um, just their situation? You know, cause if you, mm-hmm. if you're always trying to improve, you're like, Oh, I don't think this is going well. I'm like, dude, you're like light years ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, you need to have that comment, like more of a discovery conversation, before I would suggest anything. Interesting, that's a good comment.
0: Yeah, because I think we're oftentimes, this is what I saw Simon Sinek say on
1: LinkedIn. Right. So sure. this is what
0: you need to do. <clears throat> sure. And I'm not necessarily sure that's the case.
1: One, it's not applicable to every situation. Every every situation has different, requires a different leadership style. Yeah. And then you can take it a step further. Each person that's in front of me requires me to lead them in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, the, so I, you can't broad brush. I can't say do this and and think it's going to apply to everywhere in the company. That'd be ridiculous. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. And you you talk to these guys. You talk to these executives. I yeah. know that's part of your business and your consulting world uh, is getting in front of these executives and giving them some
2: yeah. You know, I just thought
0: provoking stuff. I well,
2: think that it is it to complement what Aaron is saying. You know, every situation is different. And obviously, they've excelled in in their personal career. And and one thing that when people are like junior supervisors and just coming into that role, uh, one thing, and some of the more successful people have figured this out, is that how are you going to lead other people if you have, if you don't even know how to lead yourself? So you got to be disciplined. You need to be able to walk the walk mm-hmm. and not talk the talk. But when it comes to the C-suite, uh, just a cu- couple of words of wisdom, and, and it, it's in line with what Simon Sinek says on many things. One of my favorite books from him is Leaders Eat Last. Mm-hmm. And so take that uh, concept of when things are going well and good, lead from the rear. Be visible, but just let those that incredible amount of talent that you hired mm-hmm. do what you hired them to do. But when things are not going well, lead from the front. So when it's a shortfall or there's an opportunity that needs to be captured, then get up front, be visible, lead the way. Uh, but when everything's running smooth or whatever, you don't have to be up front. It looks like you're kind of hogging the glory. Mm. And, boy, I've served with a lot of mm. people in the Navy, especially in the diving community. That I man, You couldn't find them out on a dive station. <laughs> you, when it came to the daily grind and getting out there and doing that diving work and all those bounce dives and it's just rough, you couldn't find these senior leaders. But as soon as Senator Th- Strom Thurmond called and they wanted us to go find a body that had drowned because it was a family friend, they were the first ones to suit up. Yeah. We called them glory divers. Yeah, yeah. And it's pathetic leadership, is what it is. Is that yeah. they don't show up until there's cameras rolling, mm-hmm. and you don't be that kind of person because everyone notices. Yeah, you know, just be mindful that everybody's watching all the time, and if it's going well, That's lead from the yeah. rear, man. But be visible, be there for them, support them. Look at what Aaron said. You know, everyone in every group and every department is going to have need a different kind of focus or what needs to be enhanced. And, uh, sometimes you can just do that by a little bit of coaching lead from the rear, but when things are struggling or things aren't going well, or craps hit the fan or the shares are plummeting, then it's time to step up, throw some shoulders. You've been put in that position of responsibility. It's time to be accountable for that responsibility. And you need to step up and go up front with that. And that's what people really look at and admire. And, uh, everybody has a lot of good thoughts, but putting them into action sometimes can be difficult for people. Mm. So, that would be my recommendation. Interesting, you know. So, I was reading a little bit uh, this
0: morning in preparation, which is very unlike me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you guys, you two guys,
0: intimidate me. So, Doug's I, also been drinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it is Friday, and so um, I was reading a little bit about the characteristics of a good leader, and you know, again, that's just regurgitated. Information, but one of the comments, um, one of the characteristics of a good leader was confidence, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering where does confidence come from? You know how how do you de- how do people develop confidence? What what does that mean? Because I, I've been around managers um, who weren't necessarily great leaders, and it was more of this either. Arrogance or mm. sometimes it's not even arrogance. Sometimes it's just a lack of self confidence sure. that is presented as this confidence, you know? Yeah, overcompensating.
1: So, yeah, for, this for overcompensation.
0: Lack of... Exactly. So where does where does confidence come from?
2: I think it's a core value. Uh as a matter of fact, growing up in Louisiana, I believe it's in the state motto. Confidence? And so yeah, you know, you think about People from where I'm from, not everyone. Obviously, you can't group everybody into this big lump sum. But for the most part, people from where I'm from are very confident people. They have to be. Uh, Native Louisianians were kicked out of every country or every place they've tried to settle. (laughs) They were kicked out of Europe. They were kicked out of Canada. They were kicked out of... Uh, Maryland, and eventually ended up in the toilet bowl of America where all the crap flushes out at the Mississippi River, and nobody wanted that <laughs> land to begin with. they like, oh, you can have it. So when you have all this adversity, you kind of actually build, and as you persevere, yeah, yeah, you persevere through adversity, it builds confidence. Experience is in there mm-hmm. as well, these lessons that we've learned in mm-hmm. life so we don't have fear of the unknown. It ain't unknown anymore. I've already been through this, you know, bath by fire. And so there's that confidence. You know, people ask me, it's like, how do you go down and cut those wires on that bomb? How do you know what to do? Do you ever, like, get scared or whatever? I'm like, you just don't think about it. I just block it out. I'm like, this is my mission. This is my task. I'm confident in my abilities. I've been well-trained. I'm disciplined. And I've got a pretty analytical mind, and I'm going to get this done. So, you know, that's a Nebraska thing, Larry the Cable Guy. Mm-hmm. Get her done. Mm-hmm. I'm confident. I, I tell people that sometimes my confidence is my fault. They could land a helicopter out in this parking lot and you give me an hour with the owner's manual, I think I could probably fly that thing. Mm -hmm. See, that's kind of dangerous. You can be overconfident (laughs) as well, you know, and so it's a balancing act of just not getting yourself Mm -hmm. in harm's way by thinking that you're Superman, but at the same time, be cautious enough to be able to, I'm going to carry this burden because other people don't. That's a little bit of courage too, a little courage with the confidence.
0: Which is where that element of leadership. Comes I believe in. so.
2: You know, I want to be the bearer of the burdens. I don't want uh, that to have to fall on other people. Yeah. I think our law enforcement community feels that way too, that they step up in these adverse mm. situations because they don't want people from the general public to have to deal with that. Mm. I think what you teach in self-defense and, and in phys- uh, physical fitness and Discipline and all that is to help build confidence. That's
0: 100%. a good point,
2: It's really it, man. Yeah,
0: I, I would agree. It's a that's, great way to go through life. That's why I go to the gym. I mean, there you go. There is a certain element of, um, I think, confidence is the right word that you gain from.
1: Well, sure. The first day you walk, you sheepishly walked into the door, and I was like, "Man, <laughs> right, this guy exactly right. <laughs> is this the spa?
0: Is this the day spa?" Exactly. I remember. Yeah. And, and everybody that comes in the first day is, at least should be, humble and sheepish. Don't sure. you think?
1: No, well, I mean, I think anytime you enter a new environment, you should come in with a, a sense of, um, you know, it's one thing to walk in a room confident, but anytime you're in a new environment, you, you should be humble and going sure. in because because it, it's their place right. right and but that's just my approach like it should be this is your place yeah. your rules i'm gonna be humble mm-hmm. uh, i'm not gonna roll in like i own the place because courtesy that, yeah it's absolutely it's just c- courtesy yeah and-, and
0: right above the door into your into the dojo it says check your ego
1: check your ego yeah, yeah. Right above the door love that uh some people yep. need to be reminded of that once in a while mm-hmm. um <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know what's funny is uh I think confidence, you know, there's that fine line between confidence and arrogance, to your point. Uh, I think the big piece, and when it comes to leadership and confidence, is also being confident to take the blame and take the face shot, where is where I think a lot of leaders miss. They're very confident in, in barking orders, they're very confident coming up on ideas, very confident that I'm the expert, but when it's, things go wrong fingers start to point and it's everybody else's fault. You know, the glory hounds, uh, to your point, (laughs) you see that a lot in the military. People get confident because of their title and they got this title, they got promoted, they got this rank and, and, uh, and they're constantly trying to prove themselves as, as a way to kind of just rebolster their confidence. I find a lot, You, you may have experienced the same thing and, uh, but anytime something goes wrong, it's never their fault. Or, you know, they're, they're constantly doing things to bolster their confidence, to remind themselves why they got this position or why they got this title. And I, I think a real confident leader is, is the one that's confident enough to come up with ideas, confident enough to get people what they need and then get out of their way. Like, I'm mm-hmm. confident that you're going to do your job. Right. right. I'm confident. I, all I got to do is get you the things you need. I need to get out of your way and let you, because if, if I'm down in the weeds... That no one's leading this place anyway. That's not where I'm supposed to be. That's why you're here. And then I'm also confident enough, and you're going to be confident in me, if it goes sideways, I'm going to step in front and take the face shot. Amen. And then fix whatever got screwed up because yeah. we messed it up, not you. Yeah. We messed it up. And I think that's a piece that gets missed a lot in a lot of cases. And, and it's that you know that whole accountability piece, which I think our society is struggling with right now, is, is accountability. And, uh, and that permeates everywhere. And, and I think that's what really separates like good leaders from great leaders yeah. that, you know, they're willing to step in front, you know, take the bullet because after all they're, the they're, they're the figurehead, right? You should not just take the glory; You should take all the punishment as well. And, um, and then getting, absorb that for your people and then put the things in place so it doesn't happen again.
2: You know, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, everyone, all of us do. We make mistakes. And as a, when I'm coaching some of the um, junior leaders, that you know, how do I do this? How do I handle this situation? Um, like your folks are going to make some mistakes, man. It could be an inventory problem that costs the company quite a bit of money. It could be some kind of damaged equipment. You can come up with any scenario you want to. I said, but one thing that I always try to do uh, in my 25 years of working for the federal government in various roles is that anytime someone would make that mistake, I would always take the blame, at least for the first one, is exactly what you're saying, Aaron. I'd say, hey, man, here's the problem right now. We have this three-phase quality control process that, you know, we go through this preparatory phase to make sure you've got all your tools, that you've got all the equipment you need, you've got the knowledge, you've got the skill set. Uh, then we're going to go out and do an initial thing, and I'm going to go coach you up on how to do this procedure. You know, anytime we go out to a new job site and we're going to do demolition, blow some stuff up, I just don't say, hey, here's the blasting caps and C4, go have a good time. No, you don't work
1: that way. A party wants to say so that. We're going
2: <laughs> to right. go out and we're going to make sure that you're fully prepared, that, you know, all the safety precautions, everything's in length. So everything, if there's no, there's no wrong questions here, there's no bad question. If you don't know, not asking is the only big problem here. So we're going to have you fully prepared. And then we'll go out and do this with you and make sure you're doing it the XYZ Corporation way. And then after that, I'm just going to stop by occasionally and make sure you're still following that kind of procedure. But people make mistakes all the time. And when that happens, I always come up to them and say, hey, man, I'm going to own this one for you because I'm going to lay the blame on me because I thought once we got through that preparatory and initial phase that you were ready, but apparently you were not, and that's on me. I should have been a better evaluation, evaluator of you mm-hmm. of where you were in this training process or this knowledge or this skill set. And so I apologize for selling you short. We're going to go back and we're going to do this again, but after this one, you're going to have to start owning it yourself, mm-hmm. but we don't want these to yeah. repeat. And so I always yeah. take that first one, that first mm-hmm. screw up, I put it on my shoulders and like I'm going to eat this one because well it's the right thing to do. And um I I probably didn't spend enough time with you as I should have. Maybe I did let you down. It's always on me as the leader of this team or the squad or or the group. But eventually, there's going to have to be a transfer of ownership here, right? Right. At some point.
1: (laughs) And Doug's heard me say numerous times that uh, when somebody messes up, the first question was, how did we fail this person? Did we not prepare them? Was it the wrong procedure? Did we not train them properly? Did we rush them through the onboard because we needed somebody out there? And uh, you know, how did yeah. we fail them? And usually nine times out of 10, it is the company that failed that person. Like mm-hmm. nobody goes out there to do a bad job. I, I agree with Generally that. speaking, we, we to didn't give them the, thing, the tools they needed or maybe mm-hmm. they didn't understand it fully. Or, you know, and there's a number of reasons. Sure. And to your point, it, it's on the company to own that. And say, okay, let's look at what got messed up. Oh actually that procedure is wrong or they didn't, that we kind of rushed them through training right? or we just needed, we needed to get somebody out there. We needed a body on site. So we pushed them out faster than we probably should have. Yeah. And then we want to throw it on their shoulders and uh, yeah, there does need to be a transfer, of accountability at some point. Some point. But to your point is that first one definitely should be mm-hmm. on the company because odds are the company did fail them in some way. And, and what I mean by failure, I don't mean like gross negligence, but it's just like, hey, something got missed. They slipped through the cracks. We didn't do our due diligence like mm-hmm. we should have. It could be a, mis- a um,
2: misstep in a JSA. Right. Yeah, yeah. whatever you know, it happens it to be. a could be little, could sure. be small,
1: unintentional, certainly.
2: One thing I always fall back on, yeah. Aaron, on that same point that you're bringing up is that – It's these words that I don't know where I even got them from. I think it was from my dad because, well, he was kind of an outlaw and screwed up a lot of things. He was always in trouble. I come from a long line of outlaws. (laughs) We'll get into that topic another day one day. Uh, But I do come from a long line of outlaws all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And um, the one thing I always remember is it's like people will never remember you for what you do for yourself, but they will never forget you for what you did for them. And that one step of owning it up front and stepping up, because they're probably kind of new to the company mm-hmm. or they're in a new department, everything's kind of foreign to them, and to not have them thrown under the bus right under the off the get-go speaks mm-hmm. volumes That's- to their loyalty to you, oh, loyalty to the brand, and loyalty to themselves to stick with it and mm-hmm. not give up and not have this self-assurance problem or lack of confidence. That's
1: a great point. Man, and they're know? never going to forget. If you threw them under the bus,
2: oh right. no! Yeah. Now grudges right. are strange, and they could
1: go on for a and long that, time. I like to this day, I'm 26 years into my military career, and there are several people who I would love to run into <laughs> in a, a the back bus. alley. <laughs> that, the day I'm a civilian, I hope I run into <laughs> them. Right. Right. uh and it's just it is what it is. They could. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. what they do after that. It's like you let me take it, and right. you threw me under the bus, and now I don't trust you ever. Right, right, right. Because yeah, there's always gonna again. be a next time, right? There's always gonna be a next time. Yeah. Oh, we're cool until we're not. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Until you get in a bind and then you're looking for an out. Exactly. Yes,
0: Exactly.
2: And uh well we've all worked for people having like been under out. a
0: few buses myself, I totally agree with that's a great that's a great comment.
2: One thing I ask people in my training classes is, is have you ever left a job because of safety? You know, we're going to talk about safety. Yeah, walked off. I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, has anyone ever had that kind of courage? Because, well, first of all, you better be financially secure to Mm -hmm. be able to do that. But also, you better have your priorities right that, you know, your life and your uh, safety and your health is very valuable. Mm -hmm. And I always ask people, and then, of course, most people don't want to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're always going to throw it back at me. And they're like, have you ever walked up? I'm like, man, I've done it a couple of times. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Out in the middle of nowhere, uh, getting caught in lightning storms two miles from any pickup point as we're out chainsawing and putting transects through the woods looking for ordnance ordinance that's in the ground. And I'm on the radio calling like crazy going, you got to get us out of here. It's just, I mean, and i got long hair, and it's standing up. There's so much static in the thing. And, but, you know, I get back to the shop, and I'm like, hey, man, we got to fix this. And they're like, well, it's not the budget. We're not going to get you a four-wheeler. And I'm like, Phew. Me and my crew, we're packing up, man. We've got in our RVs yeah. and we're out. Yeah, I'm not going to work for people like that, you know. Right. And I, and I'm not trying to tell people to be so adversarial at work, but boy, there comes to a point where you're going to have to have that confidence to say, you know, there's a lot more at stake here than this mm-hmm. paycheck, right? And that's a confidence thing it too is. to be able to sure. make that kind of call. You done it, Doug. May not have been safety related, but you gave up a long, long career an with an employer, yeah. and I did the same thing. Twenty five years, man. I walked away out of ethics. Mm-hmm. wasn't even safety. It was ethics.
0: Yeah,
2: I'm not working for people like that.
0: Philosophical differences, big time. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So man. that's leadership too. Sure. But you're also throwing a lot away. Oh yeah. And you know, well, you and I lived oh, that yeah. same life, man. Yeah. So, well, you, you were not. I, I've never disposed of
0: bombs or t- <laughs> well, taking a bullet or anything like that. But but I did, it was an ethics. But thing. I did walk away yeah, for yeah, those sir, reasons,
1: did. man. I, th- I think age and, and time and wisdom. Mm. Gives you confidence to do that. Uh, I find people younger in their career won't do that because they don't want to rock the boat. They're still worried about their career. You know, you get older in your career, you're like, oh, F it, I don't care. I'm almost done. And I had an experience. We were um, it was pouring rain one time. We were getting ready to fly, and I got on. We happened to be the first to get on the jet, and we had this particular jet has it's tons of electronics on it, and there's these big breaker panels. And there was water coming out of one of the breaker panels and I was
0: like, Oh my
1: and uh and I looked at it, I go, Well, that's probably not good. No. And uh so my crews, I go, Well, you guys start pre flight and we'll get going. And then uh we call the front and the pilots and whatnot got on and they're always wanting to fly, not to throw pilots under the bus, but they're they'll come they'll fly come hell or high water because they wanna get their hours. And, uh, and I, he got, the pilot gets on. I was like, hey, man, I don't, I don't think we're going today. Look at this. He goes, well, let's not be too quick to to cancel this. You know, we can. I'm like, "This, come on, man. He's like, well, just us not be too quick. So what was funny was we continue to do our pre-flight, and then the back end of the crew gets on, and the head of that crew was this old, I say old, I shouldn't say old, but this senior master sergeant. And uh, they get on, and I was like, hey, senior, come here. I go, what do you think of this? He turns the corner, and looks at it and goes, Nope, and walks off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and just walks off. I go, I guess yeah. we're done, <laughs> right? Yeah, no kid. But it was, just, it was just funny. you know. Here you got a guy who's probably damn near 30 years in, just looks at it and just makes a decision immediately. Yeah. Nope, I ain't doing it, and That's we're courage. not doing it. That's courage. And he walks yeah. off, and he pulls his crew, and they walk off. And I just look at the pond and kind of smile and go, I told you, right? And then just walked off. But and, your uh, point
0: is well taken. I think that experience and that confidence – gives you the ability to do that. And one of the problems that we have in the safety world with young workers, new workers, is they don't have that confidence. They will allow themselves to be put into positions that they shouldn't be because, A, they need the job, and, B, they're afraid to make waves. And so they do things that they shouldn't, Sure. probably even knowingly. Their gut's probably telling them, I don't like this, right? but they do it. And then there are... Employers that are willing
1: to put people in that position. Well, and it's a rank thing, right? And you, it's a rank, you, yes. You're my boss. I don't want to. Yeah. When we were flying, we used to say there's no rank on the jet for that reason because you couldn't let some higher-ranked, older person – Essentially, bully you into doing something wrong. Right. So now it's easier said than no, done. No, there's no rank on the jet, and then you look at everybody's shoulders. And <laughs> there's a rank. There's a rank. But the point was, is that hey, just because I'm a little lieutenant and you're a colonel, if it's if it's wrong, it's wrong. Right. If it's unsafe. It's unsafe. And, um, and it was to encourage that point. But I get it. It's it's hard. It's hard because it, you're the boss. Yeah. Now, today I happen to be working beside the CEO, and I'm supposed to tell him or her they're screwed up. Yeah. When they are, but I'm like, do I want to commit career suicide by doing that? And, right. and that's a tough thing to give it people early in their career that confidence mm-hmm. to speak up against the boss or yeah. the supervisor. And, and, and rightfully so. Hey, Doug's been around for 30 years. He probably knows better than I do. I'm going to default to that. I, this feels weird, but he says it's fine, but it still feels mm-hmm. weird to me. But I should trust him because... He surely wouldn't put me in a bad place. That's a great (laughs) point too, man. Absolutely.
0: Guys, we are rolling up on time. I know we have to leave on time. The hour goes by in about 15 minutes. One parting thought can be about the 4th of July. It can be about leadership. It can just be about your garden. (laughs) Give 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 me a parting thought, either of you, both of you. We have to, I'm hoping that we can do this again because I think we could probably put hours and hours on tape together. Yeah. But Cam's given me the. The signal. The stink eye. Yeah. just like my dog Chuck. I get that same look. <laughs> Are you hungry? Do you want a bowl of food? <laughs> is that what He it? needs to be walked. <laughs> yeah, He needs to go
1: outside. All right, man. Think about what do you want to say on the way out? Just I, I would just foot stomp the idea of accountability. Be accountable for the success, but also be accountable for the failures. Yeah, be accountable for everybody's actions no matter what they are and yeah. to include your own If you screw up admit it uh, it goes incredibly far with your employees and your company when you're willing to admit you screwed up in front of people Absolutely. And, and they see that you're willing to, to admit that they see that you're not going to throw some money under the bus they see that you're willing to admit fault and in, in your own humanity And then they're more willing to take accountability of their own actions as well. So it's leading from the front, but it's also leading from the back. If I'm willing to say, hey, I messed this up, guys. I messed this up, and that's not on you. It's on me, and I'm going to work to fix it. And then they're more likely to do the same. Love it.
2: I guess I'll I'll stick to the theme of independence, Mm -hmm. Independence Day and freedom. Um, Follow your own heart. When you know things should be better. Step up to be the person that does that. Don't always prescribe to dogma, which is other people's thinking. Sometimes your own intuition and your, uh, and your heart is leading you to something that's the right thing to do. And that's truly leadership, you know. It doesn't cost you a dime to be nice to folks, but it could cost you everything if you're not. And... Um, do think, Put other people first. If you do that and you're Curtis and you're always thinking about what will my mom think if I do this or what will my boss think if I do. I tell people all the time, I'm like, hey, come in after a weekend if it's been raining and you couldn't do anything. Hand me a couple of FEMA certificates that you took, a couple of one-hour emergency preparedness classes just sitting around instead of watching videos all the time. <laughs> right. And you come in and you hand me a couple certificates on emergency response. I'm like, look at you, Mr. Go-Getter. Right. Your, right. your credibility just shot to the top. And my confidence in you to have that kind of initiative, just follow your heart to just be the better person every day and put other people first. And if you do that, man, you're not going to fail. You're going to be just fine, and you're going to be a great leader of yourself, and other people are going to see you as a strong leader as
0: well. I agree. I like it. Awesome, fellas.
1: Yes,
2: sir.
0: Guys, thank you very much. This has been a pleasure, my pleasure, having both of you on. These are my true believers. (laughs) And have a safe and enjoyable holiday weekend. Um, I typically head to the basement with a bottle of bourbon and hide on the Fourth of July because it scares the crap out with of me. Chuck. With Chuck, Chuck and I are both down there. Chuck's shaking, I'm shaking, you know. But be safe, keep doing what you're doing. You know, this what we're doing is really important stuff. So have confidence, keep doing it. These are the two experts, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take
2: care. Happy Fourth, everyone.